Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. And uh, guess what we're talking about again this week? We're talking about the economy in North Carolina. And the person who's with us has been with us a number of times, and that's Patrick Woody. And uh, Patrick is the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. And uh, it's so interesting to have Patrick on because we've spent a lot of time recently talking about what's going on in the in the uh, 15 to 20 counties that are just growing as fast as they can and announcing jobs all over the place. Yeah. But we've also got these other 80 or so counties that uh, are uh, also in the picture and need help. And that is exactly what the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center does. Is that not right, Patrick? It is. Yeah. We, that's what we care about. Well, um, you know, prior to uh, your time with the Rural Center, you, of course, uh, served on the County Board of Commissioners and you also uh, were Executive Director of the Chamber of Commerce. So you come well prepared into this job. But you've been in this job now how, how long? Since uh, uh, about nine years as, as president of the center. And I've been at the center uh, for 16 years now. So time flies. <laughs> Time does fly when you're having fun. I think, as I recall, you started in 2014. Oh, that would be nine years. That's exactly that, right. That's right. I, I took over as president in 2014. Yep. Well, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about where we stand in economic development because we have, uh, of course, a state that is growing like leaps and bounds, but a lot of the growth is in that 15 to 20 counties surrounding Raleigh-Durham, uh, Winston-Salem, Greensboro, Charlotte, and of course uh, there are other little hot spots like Greenville, Wilmington, and Asheville. But uh, you uh, you had those other say seventy-five counties that uh, would like very much to grow, and it's very important for them to grow. Yeah, and you know it is a it's a really fascinating time in our state, and it really does depend upon where you stand in the geography of North Carolina, how well your community is doing. But we certainly see rural places that are doing, you know, that are really thriving right now and, and see a lot of great opportunities. As you know, Don, we've had some huge job announcements and investments uh, announced in our state uh, over the last uh, 12 months. Some of those are in some very rural counties. All of them are really have the potential of pulling employees from surrounding uh, rural counties. Uh, so that's a, that's a game changer in and of itself. You know, strategic investments and in, in uh, up and coming uh, energy, clean energy sectors um, and, and other new and emerging technologies. It really bodes well for the future of our state. Um, but even in, in the rural parts of our state, we, we see a resurgence in manufacturing, small manufacturers you know, COVID has changed the dynamics when it comes to supply chains. We see companies rethinking the things that they uh, offshored um, several, you know, in, in the past decade that they're now bringing back home or looking for suppliers closer to home. So it bodes extremely well, but it, it also means we face some enormous workforce development challenges in terms of, of getting a workforce you know, to up, up their skill levels, making sure that every person really that's of working age is really working to advance their educational attainment level. Well, we're going to start making uh, cars uh, in Chatham County with Benquest. How far away and how many counties 
that are really classified as rural will benefit from that as far as uh, providing jobs? Yeah, if you look um, south and um, east and west from Chatham County, you've got a lot of rural um, that are within fairly comfortable drives of that, uh, of both the, 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 uh, the car manufacturer, the battery, uh, electric vehicle battery manufacturer, it's been announced in Randolph County. You know, if you look kind of south of I-85, you, you've got a lot of rural um, territory there that stands to benefit from both of those projects. And those projects are really going to be game changers. Now, usually when a company comes in like uh, VinFest, they need, a, they need some supplies. Uh, how many small manufacturing companies might be spurned from uh, or started from the needs to feed those companies with their supply chain? You know, I, I don't know the specifics of, of that uh, industry announcement, but I, there will be a multiplier effect. There's no question about that in terms of beyond VinFast. Uh, just there, there's going to be job creation. It's going to uh, touch a lot of companies, probably existing companies that are going to be able to, to retool or adjust to, to meet some of the needs of that new company. Um, and, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So, and, and uh, course, yeah. you know, oh, at the same ahead. time, you know, a, a lot of these, the, the more rural parts of that, uh, of those uh, counties south of um, I, I, I-85 and I-40 are really, um, you know, they, they're going to benefit from the upgrades that infrastructure is going to get from highway to rail to broadband to, you know, you name the infrastructure, these communities are going to see major upgrades. It's really going to benefit um, all people. Um, so that impact is going to be felt um, well into parts of rural North Carolina. You know, when the VinFest announcement was made, I, I was unaware of VinFest as a company, but that is a very big company and very well funded. Yeah, and uh, you know, I've done a little bit of reading about the companies, um, what they've accomplished and done, and the impact they've had within uh, Vietnam. And you know, that's a, a real revitalization story in and of itself. It's connected to that company and the impact they've had uh, in their home country. Uh, pretty exciting, and you know, uh, uh, in in it, well in excess of a billion dollars is is just a huge investment. And of course, the battery announcements. I mean, you know, we're uh, North Carolina is has now stepped ahead. We're, we're probably behind in automotive, and now with the switch toward more uh, battery operated vehicles, we may be uh, uh, maybe the new leader. We <laughs> may well be. I mean, strategically, we're you know we we failed to to land a lot of those auto manufacturing projects in the past. But now suddenly with both the battery plant announcement and VinFast, you know, we're poised on the cusp of, of a new, new age of, of trans, you know, of car manufacturing that's clean energy vehicles, electric vehicles. And that could be a, you know, that could be a pretty enviable place to be for the next few decades. Yeah. I and mean, it's really interesting how, how circumstances change and uh, technology comes along and all of a sudden, what was out is now in, and what was in is out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that sort of happens. 
so uh, so it sort of takes care of how many counties that you now classify as yeah. rural will be able to take advantage of this because we're talking about you know seventy five or so counties that are yeah uh, sort of yeah. your target. So that this sort of helps what what twenty twenty five of your counties. So thirty, you know. For 35 years, we've really focused on 80 rural counties in the state, and and that was 80 counties with less than 250 people per square mile, really focusing on that population density as as the way we define what makes a rural county or a rural county. Uh, The 2020 census marks a a turning point, and and I think it's evidence of how much the state is changing and transitioning. Um, there are two rural counties that crossed over and are now suburban counties. Um, and that includes Onslow, where Jackson, the city of Jacksonville is located, and Johnston County, uh, which is it, you know, very much integrated into the, the triangle, Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill, metropolitan uh, region. So now we serve 78 rural counties with population densities less than um, 250. So it's a changing state. Um, When we look at kind of population in general, the rural population, we still have only Texas has more rural people than North Carolina. So there's nearly four million rural North Carolinians there. uh, We have the second highest number of rural public school students of any state in the country. Uh, So we're still a very rural state. Uh, we have more small towns with less than 10,000 population than any state other than Pennsylvania. Uh, so we're still a state of small towns. And what we've seen is many of those small towns are, are, doing, um, are doing very well. They all face challenges. They all face sort of the headwinds of change that every community everywhere is dealing with. Uh, but some of them are, are really meeting those challenges and uh, the prospects um, for the next few years uh, look uh, look pretty bright. So you sort of divide uh, your counties into three areas, three we topics, do. I guess, rural, suburban and urban. That's correct. Yeah. We didn't yeah. always so, do that. So, yeah. you know, we started doing that really with the 2010 census when we recognized that it just wasn't accurate to classify the county as either urban or rural, that, you know, truly there were a lot of counties that, that weren't urban, but they clearly uh, were suburban in nature, you know, really becoming uh, the bedroom communities. And it also a county like uh, Buncombe didn't meet the definition of an urban county. They're, they're, it's a big county. Their population density isn't um, um, all that high. It's certainly over 250, but you know, there's a big regional city that is an economic driver in that part of the state. Same with Pitt County and Greenville. Um, same with uh, um, uh, Wilmington, New Hanover. Same with Fayetteville, Cumberland. Uh, so we really began to look at the state in these three categories of, of rural, urban, and suburban. Well, that makes an awful lot of sense, and. Uh makes it easier for you to have a focus of what your requirements are and and also helps those counties. Um, So rural, suburban, and urban. And of course, uh, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, Raleigh-Durham, and Charlotte clearly fall into the urban territory without any doubt. Yeah. And they're growing like leaps and bounds. I mean, there are new announcements being made in Charlotte. The interesting thing to me is how uh, our urban 
counties don't really compete with each other. It seems like each one has its own place in economic development. They certainly have uh, developed uh, some expertise in, in different sectors that, that are complementary and not necessarily competitive with each other. Um, so, so that's true. You know, in Charlotte certainly is, you know, I think in the nation, probably the third largest financial center in the United States. So, it, you know, that's very strategically important um, to Charlotte and the greater metropolitan area around Charlotte that includes very rural counties of both North and South Carolina. Yeah, the only bad thing about Charlotte is too close to South Carolina. So some of the, some <laughs> of the growth goes over into South Carolina. That's, that's right, it does. Yeah, we, uh, we don't, uh, I don't harbor anything against South Carolina, but I hate to see our jobs go to South Carolina. <laughs> uh, my, 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 both my parents too. in South Carolina, so I, I can say that and be uh, in, on, on sound ground. Patrick Woody is our guest. He's the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. And when we come back and for the rest of the program, we're going to sort of begin to concentrate a little bit more on what we do with those 75 or so counties that are classified rural and their needs and how they fit into the picture here in North Carolina. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newspapers. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. When I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Patrick Woody, the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center, a job he has held since 2014, is our guest. And we're talking about economic development. And of course, Patrick specializes in those those uh, 70 or so counties that are classified as rural. Now, I've got on my notes here that uh, Jason provided me, our producer, to talk about the Rural Summit. Tell me about that and what you found out in it. So the Rural Summit is our big annual conference. It's a really a convening of rural leadership from all across the state of North Carolina. We, we do this year in and year out. Uh, it used to be a fall event. Now we're doing it in the spring. So our last one was held back in March and our next one will be held in March of 2023. 
Um, and it, it really is an opportunity. And it was the first in-person summit we had had in a couple of years, in three years uh, since 2019. So back in March of, of 2022, we had about 600 um, leaders from all uh, sorts of leadership positions in, in the 78 rural counties that we that we served that came together in Raleigh. And, and you know, we had just, uh, I think it, it was probably the first statewide conference or event that most of the attendees had attended in, in a long time. So it was high energy. There was a lot of interest. Um, and, um, and, and it's a place where we can really talk about um, the challenges that are facing rural communities. We can look around the state and really highlight some examples of, of communities that we think are really doing well and really excelling at, at, um, at, at, at figuring out how to solve some of the challenges we face, but also how to create opportunities from those challenges. We always have some national level speakers. So we're looking around the country to kind of identify best practices in rural economic development and highlight those communities and bring them uh, to the table and, and expose our leaders in North Carolina to what some other places around the country are doing. Curtis Media Group has some stations in Morganton and I'm very impressed with what's going on in Morganton. Well, it's interesting you bring up Morganton because uh, our board of directors in August, uh, we held our um, our third quarterly board meeting in Morganton. So our board and a, a good chunk of our staff spent two days in Morganton. And we chose Morganton very deliberately because of some of the things that are happening there. Um, you know, access to broadband, um, how we really stabilize and transform our, a rural health delivery system, supporting small business and entrepreneurship, uh, you know, investing in workforce development and our educational institutions, water and sewer infrastructure issues. You can see all of those things, housing, how uh, the community of Morganton and Burke County and the, and the counties that surround there are really those are the big challenges facing rural communities everywhere. And Morganton was a place we could go and really see how one community and one region is responding to those really big challenges. So our board members had a chance to, to tour and, and see uh, examples of, of the work they're doing in, in Morganton and Burke County. We held our board meeting. We were the, I'm proud to say, our board was the first uh, visiting group to, uh, to hold a meeting on the, on the new campus, the new Morganton campus of the North Carolina School of Science and Math. And let me tell you, from a rural North Carolina perspective, that Morganton campus of the School of Science and Math is a tremendous game changer. Um, we're so excited about that. Well, the other thing that's interesting about Morganton to me is uh, if you want to rent a storefront in downtown Morganton, you, you're going to have to go on a waiting list. Every store is full. They don't have any empty storefronts. And more remarkably to me is somebody just finished building a big motel in downtown Morganton. That's exactly right. Because I mean, it's a big motel. And our and our board was I mean, we were very glad to be customers of that downtown Morganton uh, hotel project. That's where we okay. actually stayed. And um, we had we had a reception of all our major partners, about 100 people. 
uh, at a wedding venue that's on top of a mountain that literally is looking out over Morganton and, and looking north toward Grandfather Mountain. Um, j- just spectacular views. Uh, you're right about downtown Morganton. It is thriving. Um, there's, uh, you know, we also see in Morganton that increasing diversity of the rural population. There's a very, uh, very prominent, very strong uh, Latino population and growing Latino population uh, there uh, that's that's doing very well uh, and very strongly tied to the manufacturing history of of, um, of Morganton. You know, we thought of North Carolina as really part of the manufacturing belt for many generations of workers, really post-World War II up until the first decade of the 21st century. And and Morganton literally and the four counties around Morganton were the belt buckle of the manufacturing belt. The, the highest labor participation rates in the United States could be found in those counties. Um, and it's, you know, so it was a pleasure for our board to get to go there and really benefit from um, from from seeing and and really you know, putting a face on the work that we do day in and day out at the rural center. We're going to do that once a year. And, and next year, um, we're going to go to Wilson. We're going to go to, the, to um, the eastern part of the, the state and, and focus on um, how Wilson is also working to, to, to solve the, the big challenges of our time. So what, what do you attribute the turnaround in Morgan and how did that start? What's the genesis for a community well, oh, to look at that says, okay, we're tired of not growing and we're, we, we're willing to change and so forth. How, how did that effort get started? Well, I think it's one word and it's leadership. And, you know, and that's always the first thing I look at when I'm trying to really understand what's going on in a community and how well things are going, or maybe, you know, why things aren't going so well. And it's often attributable to, at the heart of it, it's about leadership. And I always look to see, does a community have an opportunities? Do they work well together? Does town and county and nonprofit uh, organizations and strong civic clubs, uh, do they come to to the table together? Do they work in tandem with each other to really solve um, problems in the community or to, to, to create opportunities in the community. Morganton, Burke County is a good example of strong leadership that does have an ability to come together. And, and they've done that well, you know, how they rallied around this effort to attract uh, and to secure the Morganton campus of the School of Science and Math is a great illustration of that. They have, I believe, one of the most creative economic, local economic development organizations in the state. Uh, they do a really good job. They, their local economic developer was focused on workforce development before, uh, before any other local economic developers were really beginning to shift out of necessity to focus on the labor side of economic development. And likewise, a few years after that, they are the first, one of the first local economic development uh, programs in the state to really tackle housing uh, because they recognize, you know, in order for the, the companies they have there 
and they're diverse. They're good size. None of them are, are too big. So they've got a lot of uh, medium uh, size employers and, and, but they've got to be able to supply the labor force that those companies need in order to grow and develop. Um, and housing is a huge piece of, of being able to solve that labor challenge. Well, it certainly is uh, refreshing to see what's going on in, in Morganton and especially downtown Morganton and all that uh, uh, effort is really paying off. Now, I see on my notes also uh, you had a small business policy task force. I'm changing the subject now. A little yeah. bit. Tell me about yeah. that. Well, we do. And, and um, so we all read about and it always makes front page news. You know, every time North Carolina is successful in, in landing a big recruitment project and we've had uh, unprecedented announcements over the last couple of years and EDPNC the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina has done an incredible job of really shepherding and, and leading that effort uh, to, to recruit uh, some of these companies here. But who are often the unsung heroes that we see and really are the meat and potatoes of rural economic development are smaller businesses. 75% uh, of all business establishments in, in rural North Carolina have fewer than 10 employees. Um, so um, that really is the bread and butter. And the way we're really going to have opportunities to create new jobs in rural North Carolina, yes, occasionally we will be successful and land a major recruitment project, and that's a good thing. But the real in it, year in and year out meat and potatoes is going to be taking care of the businesses that are already there and helping those companies grow. And also helping helping new startups get established and also grow. You never know the startup that may be the major employer 10, 15 years down the road. I, you know, every county, I can name you community by community where we've seen that happen over and, and over again. Um, and we need to, and so we really need to be investing in those smaller businesses. We pulled together in August of 2020 a statewide task force, very diverse task force, did this during the pandemic, did it all virtually, to really focus our attention on the needs of small business owners and, and startup entrepreneurs. And we went through, we did a lot of focus groups around the state, having conversations with business owners themselves. We brought all of the resource agencies and, and the nonprofits that provide technical assistance or capital uh, banking community to talk about it. And the end result was a 20-point policy agenda that was adopted by the task force and by our board of directors in February of 2021. And we went off to the, to the long session of the General Assembly to really work on that small business policy agenda. And what we found uh, on both sides of the aisle and in both houses of the General Assembly was some pretty strong support for this idea that we've got to build a, a much stronger, more accessible ecosystem for our small business owners and entrepreneurs. And they passed a number of, of policy recommendations that really do uh, invest in creating that infrastructure. And as you said, you know, when you start a company, there's a multiplier effect because if somebody starts manufacturing widgets, somebody's got to supply the boxes that widgets go in. That's exactly right. 
Um, well, that's, that's interesting. And it sounds uh, like uh, that was a very successful program and is going to lead to some great things. And, and you uh, know, we're, we're updating that policy agenda right now. And uh, we very much, we're, we're going to go back to work. Um, we worked on it this year, made a little more progress in several areas. Uh, we're going to add some items uh, for the next long session starting in January, and we're going to keep hammering away. That's one of our major uh, priority areas. Well, that because uh, you know, one of the great things about North Carolina is our population is spread out. And if we uh, allow it to yep. get centered in those yep. 20 counties that are growing so rapidly, we'll have another set of problems and we don't want to have that. That's right. Our guest That's is Patrick Woody. He is the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the counties that are not moving ahead as far as fast as some of the others and, and what can be done about that. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Psst, Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. We are talking about the economics and the economic growth of the 78 counties that qualify for being known as rural counties in North Carolina. And uh, it used to be 80, but two have moved up to that category called suburban. And we probably will have a couple of more in the next couple of years as the growth gets spread out due to the work of the North Carolina Economic Development Center under the guidance of Patrick Woody, our guest. Uh, Patrick, we, uh, we, we've talked a little bit about some counties that are really making things happen, like in uh, Burke County and, and uh, Wilson and, and some of the other counties that are, are, are beginning to see a lot of progress being made. But we also have another, say, the bottom tier 20 counties. Yeah. And part of that is location where they're located. Uh, and uh, the extreme northeastern part of North Carolina is just off the coast, and uh, some of the extreme western North Carolina counties, some in southeastern North Carolina. Those are those are problems that I'm sure challenge you. To you, what uh, what are you planning, and what can you do to assist those counties in their growth and their problems? 
Well, these really are the communities and the parts of the state that that keep us awake at night and that we care uh, a great deal about. And we do think that there are some particular strategies and things that we have to do and we have to do differently, quite honestly, moving uh, as we move forward into the future. You know, uh, we know what the big challenges are and we know that broadband infrastructure is foundational to solving many of those uh, problems in the most severely economically distressed rural parts of, of the state. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, there is a, um, there's a heavy uh, a number of those counties that to be found in eastern North Carolina, but you really can find them on the border counties with Virginia, the border counties of South Carolina, parts of western North Carolina. It is the most, uh, the more geographically isolated parts of our state. And one of, you know, and just one of the fundamental problems they have is just, you know, that lack of population density. They, they, they have trouble having enough people to really create the economic activity that can build the success that you want for, for communities. And one of the ways that, that we strongly believe we've got to start thinking differently um, you know, 78 counties is a lot of counties and we're not going to solve the, the really big problems one community or one county at a time. We need to be looking um, more seriously from a regional point of view and focusing our attention on building a regional framework for solving last mile broadband, for solving water and sewer wastewater infrastructure issues. Um, for uh, building the healthcare delivery system that's going to meet the needs of, of the population and, an, and, a, and a rural aging population in particular and help them age in place um, more easily. So regional frameworks really matter. So we got to start, you know, not worrying so much about those Friday night football rivalries and really think about how do we work together uh, in a regional context to solve some of these bigger problems. And we really push that a lot. I also believe state and federal government has got to do their part in, in targeting better the most severely economically distressed places. At the end of the day, we do not target resources to those communities. Um, we, they have to compete against every other community in the state. Um, and capacity is a big, is a big part of, uh, of our challenge uh, in parts of, of rural Eastern North Carolina, Western North Carolina. Um, and they need resources that are really dedicated to solving their problems. Um, it, it's great that we've got $1.3 billion in, in last mile broadband funding that is, that is headed to, to solving the broadband problem in, um, in rural North Carolina, but the communities that need it, our big fear is that the communities that need it the most don't have the ability without some help to access those programs and take advantage of those programs. We've got to help them do that. And that's certainly the responsibility that we feel at the Rural Center. And, and we spend a lot of time really thinking about how do we do a better job of this. 
Well, we hear a lot when we are talking about athletics and, and, and football and basketball teams and so forth. And even a game or even in a season, we talk about momentum. And, you know, some like University of North Carolina basketball team last year got momentum going at the end of the season and look where it carried them. Uh, so momentum is important. But unfortunately, momentum works both ways. And in many of these counties, you've got a population drain and it's difficult to uh, uh, to attract people to stay in some of these areas. And this population drain, brain drain or whatever, is uh, working against any efforts you've got to rehabilitate. How do, you, how do we stop that? How do we make it more attractive to uh, stay at home? Uh, that old song, how are you going to keep them down on the farm when they've seen gay payree? Yeah, exactly. And, and I think I think this is where regional frameworks really do make a difference. Who, where are the bigger towns within regions of economically distressed counties? What, you know, really identifying what are the, where are the opportunities? I mean, there's always opportunity to be found. And how do we collectively, as not a single community or a single county, but as several, really focus on building upon those assets that, that we do have? It's not going to be easy by any means. Um, and that's why we think it, it's got to be really targeted um, and built for the benefit of those smaller places that lack the, the, the leadership uh, pool that you find in larger places um, and that lack the, the financial resources themselves or the ability to generate their own financial resources to help solve those problems. It does matter to the rest of us that may live in the Triangle or Charlotte or other parts of the state. Um, if we're going to have a strong North Carolina economy, we can't afford to leave large swaths of our state behind. And we really have got to have the conversations about what are our assets in these uh, challenging places and how do we build upon those assets. We also have an impact of a lot of retirees coming to North Carolina. It's a very popular retirement destination. A lot of that is due to the military where people get exposed to North Carolina at Fort Bragg and Camp Lejeune yes. and uh, other yeah. military bases. And then, of course, we've got the mountains and the coast. So we have a lot of retirees coming in to the state. How is that affecting the overall picture? And, and what does that affect well, does that have on economic development? It's interesting. Uh, you know, I, you know, I think of my home county of Allegheny as, as an example of this. But we see, as we talk to, to rural counties all over the place, um, th there's a variety of people that are, are coming and retiring to our state. Some of them are total newcomers, you know, that are just doing their research, thinking about what's important to them and figuring out where, where they may want to live out, um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the retirement years uh, of that part of their life. But we also see evidence of people that are from a rural place that have moved away, they've done their career, and they come back home. Um, and regardless of whether they're newcomers and never been there before, or they're coming back home, what we see from our retirees is that they get involved uh, in their communities. They care about that place. They're, they have chosen it 
uh, to live at, in their retirement years, and they're willing to invest in it. Um, and so we often, in our meetings that we have at the community level, we're meeting those folks that have a story to tell about how they found this small town uh, and why they love this small town and how much they are willing to get involved to make that small town a better place. So that that is incredible. And, you know, it, and they bring with them career experience, life experience, experience from other places that they can then um, apply that uh, to to their new home um, or to the to the place they came from. So that that I think is an encouraging thing that we really need to tap into um, and and really need to take full advantage of. Now, in some of these counties, a number of these counties that we're talking about, there's also a huge health care disparity. And uh, that's another concern when someone thinks about making their home in one of these more isolated counties, one of, a county that is, say, some distance away from a major medical center. Yeah. How, we, uh, how yeah. can we address that? And, and in particular, what about the effect of broadband on that? Well, um First of all, broadband is foundational to all the big problems we need to solve, which are education attainment, workforce development, healthcare delivery. So through telehealth and making sure that telehealth will be paid for by insurance plans um, is, is an incredibly important issue. Um, a, anybody looking at, at a community that they want to live in, they're going to look at, you know, is there good broadband available? Is there a strong healthcare delivery system? Is there a strong educational system? If they've got uh, children or, 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 uh, or of an age that they want uh, educational opportunities themselves, they're gonna look for those things. We know that North Carolina has about 1.2 million by last latest numbers, uninsured people in this state. Um, we know about half of them or 600,000 fall in what we call the health insurance coverage gap. Um, most of them, the vast majority of them are working. Some of them are working multiple jobs and not making a lot of income. Um, they don't make enough money to afford uh, insurance on the, um, uh, the exchange, so they can't afford um, health insurance on the um, uh, ACA uh, exchange, um, and they make too much to be eligible for Medicaid. And what would really be a game changer for this state, and, and there's only uh, about 12 states in the country that haven't done this yet, is North Carolina, uh, and I'm hopeful that we're moving in the right direction, but North Carolina there's nothing that would have a greater economic development impact on rural North Carolina than expanding Medicaid. And it would cover about 600,000, uh, up to 600,000 uninsured North Carolinians um, and really um, help create the foundation for stronger economic outcomes. Um, it, it, it is really, um, it's really a, a challenge that I hope um, the General Assembly and the governor are coming together on. Uh, they're closer, I think, to an agreement than they've ever been, and we're very hopeful they're going to get to an agreement. Well, that, uh, as, I, as you just said, that uh, seems to be on the fast track right now. 
and we're very close to some form of agreement. And and uh, I think more and more people are seeing the benefit that uh, the state would have. And as you said, there's only 12 states that uh, are in the same boat that we're in. Well, and we now have the the ability over years to, to look at what has actually happened in the states that have expanded Medicaid. And what we see very clearly, fewer rural hospital closures, number one, uh, incredibly important. Uh, a great reduction in the amount of charitable care that's being that's having to be covered and paid for uh, by hospitals. Um, that's another really important factor. Um, so a lot of the things that um, we may be worried about, um, we now see that we've had very positive outcomes in the states that did expand Medicaid. Our guest is Patrick Woodin. We've got one more segment here on Carolina Newsmakers. He's the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. And we'll be back right after some messages uh, again with our guest, Patrick Woody. So you stay tuned. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. And my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We welcome Patrick Woody to our uh, session of Carolina Newsmakers. He is the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. A reminder that this program comes in two forms. A number of you are listening to a full hour program and a number of you are listening to a half hour program. If you happen to be listening to the half hour program, the two segments that you're missing, and both of them I thought were terrific this week, uh, are available for you on carolinanewsmakers.com. And especially you people in the western part of the state, a nice segment about the Morganton area. It's available on carolinanewsmakers.com. Or if you'd like to share the entire broadcast with someone or listen to it yourself, you can do that also, carolinanewsmakers.com. Well, Patrick, uh, we want to talk about three things that are sort of interesting. Uh, one, I want to get your view on how COVID has sort of changed a number of things that we uh, do and, and think about. Also, we want to talk about the possible uh, effects of a potential recession, uh, ever how mild it might be. Uh, and we might also want to talk about the effects of inflation. So 
I'm going to turn it loose and let you handle those three topics, COVID, inflation, and potential recession. Um, COVID, you know, it's one of those once in a hundred years um, phenomena that, you know, you, you can't compare it to much of anything that we've ever seen before. It's been a very unique time. From, But we do see a potential silver lining for some but not all rural places. And it's this, you know, for the last 50 years, we've seen we've seen a, an accelerating trend toward urbanization. We've seen um, that trend of, of people moving away from more rural places toward centers of population density, greater economic activity. I don't by any means think we will see that trend reverse, but I think we are seeing that trend slow down. And we are seeing and hearing from our rural partners in parts of this state that there are newcomers that are making decisions to, to relocate uh, from an urban center to a, to a small town um, or a much smaller uh, community than they have been living in. As I said earlier, you know, they look for you know, is there a strong healthcare delivery system? Is there a strong educational education delivery system? Um, is there adequate broadband, you know, robust broadband? So there, there's some boxes that they want to check as they make a decision about those communities. But we really do see um, a reversing trend, uh, a slowing down of this trend for, toward urbanization that can really benefit rural places that are prepared to take advantage of it. Um, and, you know, places like Morganton that we talked about, it's a good example of a community, Marion near Morganton. Um, the, all those foothill communities are really um, well positioned to take advantage of that. Some of our communities toward um, the Eastern part of our state as, as well. And with people's decisions to relocate, come their decisions to move their business interests or, or start new businesses. Um, so that is perhaps our bright spot of COVID. It's been a major disruptor in a lot of ways. What COVID has done is, as you well know, there's a lot of federal and state resources that have been brought to bear uh, as a result of COVID. Uh, a lot of those resources are, are targeted to the things we care most about water and sewer infrastructure, housing, um, broadband, last mile broadband. Um, and so to see those level of investments, we never would have seen that without, um, without COVID. We just want to make sure they really work for smaller places. Um, in terms of um, the possibility of a recession, you know, for, for those of us that look at a lot of economic numbers and a lot of economic data, these are indeed strange times that we live in. We see indicators that would tell us, you know, we are headed toward a recession. And then we see other indicators that tell us, no, we're, we're nowhere near a recession. So I think it is, it is a time that we will watch closely and we will listen closely to what's actually happening on the ground to try to understand the dynamic of these uh, really unique times that, that we live in. For the most part, as I talk to rural leaders around the state, they're feeling better than they have felt in some time. 
their local, uh, if they're a local government official, uh, they're, uh, they have some resources that they haven't had in a while. They, they got cash on hand that, that, that is, un, that, that is giving them some opportunities to, to think about how they want to invest that and target that. Um, so in general, I, I hear pretty good things. Uh, there is, I think, a, a lot of concern about inflation, particularly around food. And, and of course, we all know uh, the gas phenomenon. We, we're now seeing those numbers and prices begin to come down and, and level off maybe a little bit. I think we all wonder, you know, based upon the economic information being, being released this week, um, you know, have we yet reached the point where um, uh, where inflation is really cooling off to, to levels that that we really can um, live with? Um, and or are we going to continue to see, for example, 30 year mortgage rates continue to, to rise that impacts um, families ev everywhere? Um, it's a mixed bag. Um, and these are some these are some really challenging times, I think. Well, it is interesting because usually when you have a recession, you have a lot of un unemployment. And right now, everywhere you go, yeah. especially in these 25 or so growth counties, you see help wanted, you see people paying signing bonuses, you see lots of ads, uh, we're hiring, we need, you know, you see uh, plumbing organizations, uh, plumbers advertising for help. You Absolutely. see. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's that's counter to anything we've ever that's had. That's exactly right. Before. There's no shortage of, um, you know, there's no shortage of job opportunities. There, there is, um, you know, there is concern about labor participation rates. We, but we begin to see them tick up again, so, which tells us that people, um, working age people, are beginning to come back into the workforce. A lot of those that have been affected have been women um, that had been disproportionately affected by the lack of childcare options. And that's a big challenge that rural communities face. Um, and, you know, we don't, you know, we, we need to get productive working age people back in, in the labor force. And we do see evidence that they're beginning to come back. It's been slow, um, but you know, even in some of the really rural parts of the state, uh, we see lots of job openings and job opportunities. Well, let's uh, let's turn now to legislation. You mentioned, of course, uh, earlier in one of the earlier segments, you mentioned the importance of perhaps expanding Medicaid, uh, uh, that uh, legislation that is being considered right now in the North Carolina General Assembly. But uh, what other that along with what other legislation are you watching and what do you think is important to see happen to continue the growth in these 78 counties that you represent? Yeah, I'll talk just a minute about our top three uh, rural health being one of them. Uh, you know, we've already talked about expanding Medicaid and the effect that that would have by covering uh, up to 600,000 North Carolinians and and by the way, that those 600,000 are disproportionately rural citizens. Uh, rural North Carolina has a disproportionate share of those uninsured working uh, people that would benefit from Medicaid expansion. Beyond that, we need to really make sure that telehealth has parity 
when it comes to uh, in, you know insurance companies accepting and, and paying for telehealth visits. Uh, that's a big concern for us. Uh, we are also really concerned about scope modernizing our scope of practice laws so that advanced nursing practitioners, uh, so that dental hygienists, for example, uh, health uh, various uh, levels of healthcare professionals can practice up to their full scope of practice. Do is we need all hands on the deck, and we need everybody that's on deck to be able to do as much as they can possibly um, as they can possibly do. Um, in the area of broadband, we've got a lot of work still to do just on the infrastructure, getting last mile broadband to people and to businesses. Uh, there's been over, um, I think we're now uh, around $300 million has been announced to projects in 92 counties. Uh, and it's really, we want to see how these projects play out, but we are beginning to get the money to the places that need it uh, to get last mile broadband built out. And we know that even once we get the infrastructure in place, We've got years of work in front of us and, and things that we need to do within the General Assembly to help um, um, to help make sure people understand how, how broadband benefits their lives and get them to be subscribers to Last Mile Broadband once the infrastructure is there. Um, and we'll be working on, uh, on all those issues, making sure as we build and spend broadband money that we're building infrastructure that can be upscaled to higher and higher levels um, uh, speed levels uh, to meet future needs as we build that um, as we build out that infrastructure. And then in our small business space, one of our top priorities is a Truth in Lending Act for non-bank, uh, non-credit union lenders who um, often are um, uh, small businesses go to a website um, and and apply for loans, and we've seen in our work as we refinance some small business loans, we've seen examples of some pretty predatory lending practices where the cost of capital is not made uh, apparent or easily understandable to the small business owner. And we want to see a Truth in Lending Act for small businesses that ensures that uh, they can compare loan products in a consistent way that allows them to know what they're actually paying for financing. Uh, and that, that's a big um, priority for us as we look ahead to the next long session. Well, that sounds like three great uh, uh, steps for you to uh, uh, in your planning, it just sounds like you're really highly targeted and on your way. Patrick, We I can't tell you how interesting this program was to me, and I hope our listeners feel the same way. If uh, you can, I hope you'll be back with us again soon and give us an update. Patrick Woody, the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and either hear the entire broadcast or the two segments that you might have missed. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. Our program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he promises us another interesting guest next week on the same group of stations. Till next week, I hope you have a great week. 
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.